Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Seja Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle, a brief rundown of the latest news. Good evening and thank you for tuning in to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC. I'm Evan Garris. And I'm Jack Boyer. Now for your latest headlines. Kevin Howell in CSU, class of 1998, has been named Interim Associate Vice Chancellor of Alumni Relations and Executive Director of the NC State University Alumni Association. In addition to maintaining current alumni outreach and service initiatives and objectives, Howell will work with the Alumni Association Board of Directors and Leadership of the University to consider long-term strategies, including the fiscal planning needed to support the growth of the association. Howell currently serves as Assistant to the Chancellor for External Affairs. He is a member of the Alumni Association Board of Directors and the North Carolina State Board of Education. A former student body president and member of the Board of Trustees, Howell earned his B.A. in political science from NC State and his law degree from UNC Chapel Hill. He and his wife, Alita Howell, class of 1989, live in Raleigh with their two daughters. We've been closely watching the story of the swine flu, or H1N1, since it started spreading across the globe in April. One of the big questions on everybody's mind is when the vaccine will become available for everyone. WRAL reports that Wake County has run out of its H1N1 vaccine supply for the time being. Though officials can't say for sure when the next batch will arrive, they're telling the public not to panic. So far this fall, roughly 3,000 people have received a nasal form of the vaccine from Wake County clinics. Keep in mind that authorities are trying to get the vaccine out to those at highest risk from complications, which includes people under 24 years old, people with underlying conditions, and health care, child care, and emergency workers. Ever since ex-Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich appointed Roland Burris to fill Barack Obama's old Senate seat, Burris has been something of a black sheep in the Democratic Party. Today, he told the Associated Press that, quote, I would not support a bill that does not have a public option. That position will not change, end quote. Nowhere is the health care debate more closely watched than in the United States Senate, and Burris's hard stance will make it even more challenging for the Democrats, let alone the Republicans, to agree on what should be in the bill. This past week, Maine Republican Senator Olympia Snow surprised many by helping pass the Senate Finance Committee's bill, but it remains to be seen how she will vote on the final version. The BBC is following a breaking news story out of Afghanistan, where a commission investigating the contested results of the country's recent election has found that incumbent President Hamid Karzai did not receive enough votes to substantiate an outright win. Results from the preliminary round of voting had shown that Karzai had received the 50 percent plus one votes needed to avoid a runoff, but at least one poll monitoring group is reporting that almost one million of the votes have been invalidated. The White House issued a statement claiming that it was incredibly important for Afghanistan to form a legitimate government. White House Press Secretary Robert Gibbs is quoted as saying that it is now up to the Afghans to demonstrate that they believe in that legitimacy as well. The U.N.-backed Electoral Complaints Commission had decried the initial results, citing, quote, clear and convincing evidence of fraud. According to a U.S. group monitoring the election, Karzai's percentage of the vote has fallen to 48 percent. A suicide bombing rocked the town of Pishin, located in southeast Iran's Sista-Baluchistan province, early Sunday morning, according to news agency Al Jazeera. 35 were killed, including 11 officers from Iran's Iran's elite Revolutionary Guard. General Nurali Shushtari and General Mohammad Zadeh were two top commanders. Or two top commanders, rather, were amongst the casualties. According to Iran's state, Iranian state media, Sunni group Jundallah has claimed responsibility for the attack. Mohammad Morandi, a professor at the University of Tehran, linked Jundallah to the Saudi, British, and U.S. governments, claiming that Iranian officials are very confident that the terrorist group behind the attack was funded by the Saudis and supported by the Americans and British. Spokesman for the U.S. State Department, Ian Kelly, was quick to reply, stating that, quote, we condemn this act of terrorism and mourn the loss of innocent lives. Reports of alleged U.S. involvement are completely false. It should be noted that Jundalah is classified as a terrorist organization by the governments of Saudi Arabia, the United Kingdom, and the United States. President of the Czech Republic, Václav Klaus, the only European Union leader holding out on signing the Treaty of Lisbon, hinted on Saturday that he would ultimately sign the text. Citing concerns over the immense breadth and scope of the treaty he has previously abstained from ratifying. In any case, he cannot sign until October 27th, as the Czech Constitutional Court has placed a temporary ban on him doing so. The Treaty of Lisbon is aimed at streamlining governance of the 27 nations comprising the European Union and cannot take effect until all members have ratified the document. 
Like many in America last Thursday, I watched the live drama unfold as an experimental balloon floated around the state of Colorado with what many thought to be a young boy on board. Clearly, this is our offbeat story. Now the AP reports that authorities think the whole thing was a hoax and may file charges as early as next week. Until that time comes, Fort Collins, Colorado police are hesitant to say what they will bring against reality show contestant and amateur scientist Richard Heaney. Investigators are also interested in questioning an associate of Heaney about whether the whole thing was a publicity stunt for an upcoming reality TV show. Six-year-old Falcon Heaney, the boy once thought to be soaring at 8,000 feet, was found hiding in the family's home after authorities determined he was not on board. Falcon, despite twice vomiting on morning news shows last week, appears to be no worse for the wear, but that has not stopped Child Protective Services from looking into the family. A local legend has dared to make an appearance at this year's state fair. That's right, Hillsborough Street, infamous, Hillborough, Hillsborough Street rather's, infamous barrel monster has taken up residence on the NC State Fairgrounds, two of them to be precise. Creator of the original masterpiece, NCSU student Joe Carnavale has fashioned two replicas that will adorn the area for all to see. One is located at entry gate 9 and the other may be found behind the flower, flower and garden show. The original barrel monster was returned to Hamlet Associates, owner of the barrels used to create the friendly fiend, after Carnavale was arrested and charged with misdemeanor, larceny, and damage to property last August. The state fair runs through October 25th. And today was not a bad day to visit the state fair weather-wise, but we've got a clear and cold night on the way. Temperatures will be like last night, bottoming out around 34 degrees. The good news is that the wind should hold off so it won't nearly be as uncomfortable, but the bad news is that this is the perfect recipe for frost. So bring your sensitive outdoor plants or animals in if you start doing that when it gets cold. For as cold as tonight will be, tomorrow will still be lovely, warmer than today with a high of 74 and clear, sunny conditions. On Tuesday, we've got another clear night, not so bad with lows in the lower 40s. Wednesday and Thursday bring more sunshine. Highs in the upper 70s. And then finally on Friday, a rain system will approach from the west, bringing increasing cloudiness and a chance for showers late in the day and a high in the upper 70s. This day in 1987 was dubbed Black Monday as the Dow Jones Industrial Average, average falls by 22 percent or 508 points. And in 1959, on this day, the first discotheque opened. Happy birthday to Ty Pennington, who was born on this day in 1965 and who is an American television carpenter. And Michael Steele is getting jiggy with it. It is his, would be your 51st birthday today. And that does it for the news here on Eye on the Triangle. Listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 FM. I'm Seja Hindi. The EO team is bringing the EOT team is bringing you a wide range of topics on this week's show, so be sure to stay tuned. In VIP, Chris Chaffee gives us a personal look at the state fair and his attempt at spending as little money as possible. We'll have our usual sports segment with an update on the football team from Derek Medlin. John Cooper Elias and Tyler Everett. In Community Canvas, Mike Austin sat down with artist Megan Gulledge to talk to us about her work. And hear this, Rachel Sloan and Kelly Reed give us a look at this week's Cherry Bounce Music Festival. Jacob Downey sat down with our Wolfpacker of the Week, Zach Schnell, from the Wolfpack Environmental Association. And we'll wrap up the show with sound bites. Also, somewhere in between, Homecoming Chair Adam Compton will be joining us to make the official announcement about this year's Pack Howell Concert Act, as promised. More information will be provided on the blog after the show. And now, on to VIP. <laughs> On the Triangle's VIP. Talking to people that matter. This is Chris Chaffee with Eye on the Triangle. Going to the fair can be an expensive venture, especially for families in these tight economic times. In years past, I've gone to the fair and spent my hard-earned dollars with reckless abandon and had a great time. Many people, I think, feel that spending money is synonymous with a fair trip and so this year, I decided to try something different. I wasn't going to spend any money at the fair. Saturday afternoon, I decided to test out this theory. I decided to try the impossible. Go to the fair for free. Armed with cans for both me and my friend Tessa, we walked up to the ticket booth and plopped our cans down on the counter. Greeted with a quizzical glance from a woman on the other side of the glass... She informed us that we would have to pay $7 to get in because the day to get in with cans was actually Thursday, October 22nd. $7 down, we walked through the entrance 
and into the building that usually hosts the flea market, but during the fair has all the entrance into all of the food competitions, as well as competitions for clothing, quilting, and others. This was our first chance to do something free. Wow, look at that gift down there, Sarah. After looking at all of those delicious cakes, we felt hungry ourselves, so we decided to go look for free food to eat. It's our first free thing that we've found so far at the fair. Let's see. I don't know. Oh, wow. So they have chips and green tea. Chips and green tea. Look at this. Well, you do now. You have to try some free samples. Do we get, can we try them? Yeah. Can we try yeah, this stuff? Yeah, definitely. What is that? This is a chocolate-covered clodhopper. Chocolate-covered clodhopper. May I try one? Yeah, like mocha dark chocolate. Mocha's fine. Thank you. Mocha dark chocolate. Uh, dark. So what it is, it's like a graham cracker crumble that we bake and then dip it in chocolate. That's delicious. Nope. You guys have so many different kinds of chips as well, I see here. Yep. And like flavors of tea. Feel free to try it all. It's all natural. I won't mind. All right, let's see. I'm going to try the blueberry honey first here. Mmm, it's pretty good. Yeah, all right, I'm gonna try another one too, just to make sure. That's delicious. That was delicious. Can we try chips too? Yeah, definitely. What? Which one do you wanna try? All right, here, you do it. That one is actually my favorite chip. Those are olive oil? Yeah, and it's a really hard flavor to find, and these are really good chips to start with, so the flavor. Those are fantastic. <laughs> for the chips, we have the small bags for $1.50 and then big bags for $3. Oh, thanks. After eating chips and green tea, we started standing in a line for hush puppies, and we met some really nice ladies. My very first, I'm so excited. Are you very excited about this hush puppy experience? Very, very excited. Okay, good. Especially when we observed the guy four, four steps up putting his hands into it. We thought that was just... He put his hands into it? Yes. Oh, man. Finally, it was my turn to eat free hush puppies. Not only do you get a free... Hush puppy or two, you also get free samples of hush puppy flour for baking. So now we're gonna like get on up here and get one of these bad boys. Thank you very much for my hush puppy. Oh, this is for pork products. Okay, and oh, they're making hush puppies. Ah, fresh hush puppies. Yes. Delicious. After eating our fill of free food, we decided to move on. Tessa got a makeover at the L'Oreal booth. Then we decided to drive the drunk driving simulator. Is it bad that you're like drunk driving in the daytime? It's like the middle of the afternoon. Just going for a nice drive. How's it going? Um, it's weird. I'm gonna stop with the light though. Oh snap. What? <laughs> I can't see. You can't see? Oh, the oh my screen. god, that's a person! <laughs> you hit a person. <laughs> you hit a person. Once we learned a valuable lesson about drunk driving, we met Alex, an NC State student. So, like, what have you done so far at the fair? I've eaten a country ham biscuit. Have you eaten anything else? Nah, I had I'm, I'm about to eat a lot of food. Are though. you? Yeah. Is most is food your biggest like attraction to the fair? I don't know. I like the rides, and I mean the food's good. I like the rides. Kind of kind of expensive, but I mean it's it's fun just to come here and you know have a good time. Do you uh, have you done anything yet? Uh, Not free? really. I just got here. Just we left Alex to enter some of the livestock barns. This we found was another great free thing to do. We just stepped into a huge. Room full of chickens. We have these are rooster. In one of the dairy barns, we also met up with some NC State students who were there with the Animal Science Club working the milking booth. 
This is the Animal Science Club. Yes, sir. Yes, and you guys have been at the fair a years past, or is this the first yeah, year? No, we've been here many years, as far as I know. Really? Yes, sir. Have you done this before? I have. This is my third year. Do you look forward to it every year? Oh, yeah. We always look forward to it. It's a big uh, fundraiser and a way, way for us to help the public get around the animals and learn more about agriculture. Yep. Um, do you guys, where are the cows from? Are they from the vet school? The cows are from the NC State uh, Dairy. And they have about 100 head over there of Jerseys and uh, Holsteins that they milk and produce the milk for the students at the school to drink and for ice cream and for local, local schools around there. Arts and crafts are also an integral part of the state fair. I caught up with a couple people who practiced their craft at the fair and were dressed in traditional attire. You are Bill Williams, yes. and you do you make all these furniture? Do you make all this furniture? What I do is the weaving. Okay. I find old chairs that I restore and weave the new bottoms in them, and I find stool frames that I refinish and weave the different kinds of bottoms in them. That's really cool. How did you learn to weave? I had a friend that taught me the basics, and then I found some good books and literature in just 27 years of practice. 27 years. That's a long time. <laughs> I do all that you see here. I've done everything that's in the booth. And so what do you make your own weaving materials or do you buy them or what are they made out of? Both. I buy some. The seagrass is a product from the Orient. The fiber rush, which is the brown material there, is made here in North Carolina. I make some materials from tree bark, such as hickory strips and elm strips. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bill. Sure. Oh, you're a podcaster. It's all about knitting and spinning? Not all about it. No? Actually, it's called Knitwit, Rantings of a Rabid Knitter. It's a storytelling podcast with occasional knitwit. I work full-time, so oh, do you? this is, yeah, this is my heart instead of my head. Right. So this is just your part-time job? Yeah, exactly. Do you come to the fair every year to sell your stuff? This is my 11th year. 11th and year I, at the yeah, fair. Yeah, I come here to demonstrate and share the joy of knitting and spinning and fiber. I do. I use all kinds. I like to use uh, the softer wools like merino, but uh, alpacas like butter. It's wonderful stuff to work with. Uh, I have five sheep. Uh, their names are Dot, Dorothy, who's the first one. And then her daughter is Dash. Dash's daughter is Sprint. And then I brought them home because three is a, a herd. It's, you know, they're a herd animal. They can't. Right. Yeah. So I had three, so I brought them home, and Dot was getting fat. And I called up the farmer, and I said, uh, could she have, like, gotten to the nah, No, couldn't possibly. Of course not. No, of course not. And uh, then um, I asked the vet. The vet came out to, you know, check things out. And I said, could she be? And she's like, well, I don't know. I could bring the ultrasound out. And I'm like, ah, how yeah. much would that cost? Yeah, exactly. So um, early February, I came home to this ruckus. Just, you know, I could... I first thing I thought was a dog had gotten in because the number one killer of sheep is domestic dogs. They get in and they start running the sheep and it's a game to them until they get the taste of blood and then they kill them. So my fear... Yeah, yeah it's like a babe. Is, a, is that, you know, a dog has gotten in. So I had a meeting that day and I was dressed up. I was ripping off my clothes. My clothes were going everywhere. I yeah. threw her on a raincoat, threw her on my mud boots, and I go running out there with a stick. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's yeah, a stick. It's a stick. Yeah. Go running out there with a stick, and I stopped dead in my tracks because Dot is in the middle of the field with these three white babies. What? Yeah, she's black. All what? my sheep are black, and I got these three white babies. And my uh -oh. first response was, oh, my. Yeah. And since her name is Dorothy, they became lion, tiger, and bear. Of course. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, Have a great day. You too. There's also lots of free art to look at. So we're looking at, like, some chickens made out of aluminum cans right now made by cardinal gibbons high school students like what are you, what what emotions are you being what are, what are you elicited right now they are so cool i don't even know how to describe it look the soda can is used for its eye that's wild wow. i'm sending the pink chicken to my mom that's cool i think she'll appreciate it yeah dude definitely i don't know i feel like they had to drink so much soda to make all these cans One of the last things we did before we left the fair was one of my personal favorites. Go to the hunter safety booth and shoot the free BB guns. 
so excited for this. I think my animals survived. I also talked with one of the people at the hunter safety booth about the hunter safety booth. I just got down here today at 2.30, work tonight, work tomorrow, and drive back to Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, so you're from Asheville. Uh-huh. Do you guys come from all over the state to go to the fair? Yeah, we send people from every district in the state to work the fair. So it's a big deal for you guys, the fair. Yeah, it is. We put a lot of effort into it, a lot of money, and a lot of time. Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to do, actually. I think a lot of the young folks get a lot of good out of it, learn how to shoot. It's never been able to shoot a gun before. Yeah. And I think they get a whole lot out of it. Man, well, thanks a lot. All right. Next to the gun safety booth, the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission had set up a booth. I talked to one of the people who was at the booth. We're the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. Well, there you go. What do you guys do? Uh, lots of different things. I'm from promoting hunting, uh, trying to manage landscapes in the, in the best way possible. Cool. And then a lot of us do surveys for rare species and try to make sure the rare species stay around. Do you guys do a lot of work with sustainability, or is it mostly just the wildlife that we like have now? We do. We actually have a group, uh, someone who was just here this morning, who does a lot of things trying to make sure that growth and, and wildlife can coexist in certain places, like the Triangle especially. Yeah. Well, there's some deer up on Dix Hill. That's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of, plenty of deer. All yes. Over. I live in Chapel Hill. There's a, deer, yeah. I have a lot of deer. Well, cool, man. Thanks for uh, giving a couple minutes. i got to go shoot some guns. All right. Good luck. Thanks, man. After a long day of fair fun, we started walking back towards our car, which was parked for free. We did, however, talk to one of the people who was at a pay lot. We're doing pretty good. I mean, it's been a little slower than last year this really? time. Yeah, but I hope it'll pick. It picked up this afternoon. Cool. So you uh, you just stay here all day and make sure people pay for parking? Yeah. That's your job? Yep. From that's, 7 in the morning until about 10, 1030 at night. That's a long day. It's a very long day. And every day for the fair? Well, except during business hours, we don't park. Oh, right, right. That's a no parking zone between 8 and 5 on business days. It came about because people were trashing the parking lot. Right. So why not hire attendants, pay them, and, sure. clean, and we clean up the parking lot. Right, and do you work somewhere in here? Or, yeah. What do you- well, I actually work in Willow Springs, but a girl that I work with works. Oh, cool. Here. Well, thanks. I'm sorry, what was your name? Tasha. Tasha, thank you so much for your You're time. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Y'all have a good time. Will do. All told, Tessa and I each spent $16, $7 to get into the fair, $7 for deep fried vegetables, 50 cents for a pickle, 50 cents for chocolate covered peanuts, and $1 for chocolate milk. We both learned that our fair experiences will never be free, but you can have a lot of fun at the fair for not much money. You just have to keep your eye on what you spend and make sure to look at all the cool stuff that you might not see if you're riding rides or playing games. For Eye on the Triangle, this is Chris Chaffee. Now we'll take a short break, and when we get back, we'll give you your weekly Wolfpack Sports Update and possibly release our official announcement, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Next up, we have This Week in Sports, an update from Tyler Everett, Derek Medlin, and John Cooper Elias. All right, what's up, guys? Uh, We're going to recap the game a little bit for you this week. Uh, NC State played Boston College. They played in Boston, uh, went up there. Actually, uh, they they didn't play very well, ended up losing 52-20. to So I'm going to send it over to Coop. He's got a little more on the game. All right, guys, so first thing I want to know, was it really surprising to you all that the rushing defense gave up so many yards on the ground this week, specifically 264 yards to Montel Harris and five rushing touchdowns, I believe both uh, records for Boston College. Was that a big surprise to you? Um, After the Duke game, I was thinking, you know, it would be a matter of time before the run defense had problems as well because when you get shredded that thoroughly in the secondary, you're going to have to drop a lot of people into coverage, and I figured – by the time we dropped enough into coverage, it'd be really easy to run the ball on us. I didn't think it'd be for a couple of weeks. I uh, kind of envisioned Boston College having more success through the air, maybe a little bit on the ground, and then maybe going down to Florida State and getting ran all over. But uh, it was it was uh, sight for sore eyes seeing how well they ran the ball this quickly that it's that it's out that um that it's out that it's that easy to run the ball in addition to throwing the ball. I think it's going to be a really long season unless something drastic happens. 
So do you think that was the biggest difference, the fact that it was going to happen at some point, not necessarily that there was any difference in our defense, just that it was something waiting to happen? Yeah, I think it was a matter of time, and it came sooner than later, unfortunately. Okay. Um, the other thing I want to know, you know, we were expecting going in to have trouble with the secondary and pass defense. So did you see any improvement in that? Do you think it was about the same as it had been? Um, kind of what was your take on how our secondary played? They, um, you know, they played a little better, but I also think it was uh, a part of it was the fact that Boston College didn't really have any interest in running or in throwing the ball that much. They wanted to run the ball, and, and they did, obviously. Um, Boston College's quarterback, Dave Shinsky, who's, who's a freshman, he's an older freshman, but uh, hasn't played a lot. He only attempted uh, 25 passes, completed 13 of them for 187 yards. So pretty good numbers, you know, as far as the defensive secondary is concerned. But, you know, Boston College really didn't want to pass the ball. Uh, they didn't want to put the game in that quarterback's hands because he's inexperienced. So it didn't really surprise me that the, the defensive secondary played better. They made some plays. Um, they missed some plays. Rashard Smith had a, a, a big pass uh, go over his head that he, he couldn't quite make the play on. So, you know, it, it's one of those things I think it was more a symptom of what Boston College was trying to do uh, by running the ball. And that's, that's why NC State's pass defense looked better. I don't necessarily think it was anything that they really changed, so to speak. Coach Tom O'Brien touched on all of that after the game. You know, he talked a lot about the fact that tackling, again, is still an issue, and some of these fundamentals on defense are now showing up not just in our pass coverage but also in the rush defense as well. Um, you know, He also com- made the comments that this team has actually regressed in the past few weeks instead of making progress, and that's definitely a cause for concern. So you know, what's your take on that? Is that something that you, you know, obviously with, com- with Tom O'Brien being such a, a coach concerned with discipline, is that a big surprise to you? Um, it is a surprise that this has happened, but I agree completely with him. It's not a surprise to me that he said it. It's a surprise to me that it's happened because after the pit game, you know, we gave up, I believe it was 31 points, but in the second half when we needed stops, we got them, and the defense came through when it was necessary. And then we went to Wake and uh, had some good plays, especially at the beginning, Willie Young's uh, forced fumble. But when they needed to play, they got it, and they got it all afternoon long. And then we all know what happened against Duke, and we certainly saw what happened against BC. And when you get – when you give up a record-setting performance, passing to a senior quarterback that's been around forever, that's not good, but you can you can deal with that. When you give up the kind of afternoon we gave up to uh, the running back for BC, who, who never, as far as I know, maybe I just haven't been paying attention, but never really made a big game before, and he goes for nearly 300 yards and five touchdowns, that's just unbelievable. And that shows that you're equally in that tackling the run as you are covering the pass. So it was pretty, definitely regress is probably an understatement, if anything. And Coach Tom O'Brien now falls 0-3 against his former team um, with two losses coming in or at Boston College since he's come to NC State. Um, one last thing, what changes do you expect the team to make during the bye week? And uh, just talk a little bit about what you expect to see in the Florida State game, that Halloween showdown down in Tallahassee. You know, they, they really do have a lot of work to do. The tackling, I think, is probably the thing that needs to be addressed the most. Um, and I don't know, maybe at this point there's nothing they can do. I don't. Maybe the guys that we have out there on defense just, just can't tackle and there's nothing that they can do in practice to make it better. I find that hard to believe, but we'll see. I think that's got to be one of the first things they address uh, in the bye week. There may be some depth, tar- depth chart changes. Uh, Tom O'Brien has been famous for that during his time at NC State. Um, he's not afraid to change it up and, and get the best players on the field. So you may see changes with who's starting or who's playing more snaps. Uh, offensively, we've been out of rhythm, it seems like, uh, I don't know what it is necessarily. Um, I think the offense needs to be a little more patient and not press uh, press the issue trying to get the ball down the field and make big plays and uh, be content with three, four, five-yard gains that keep the chains moving. Um, I think you'll see some of that uh, against Florida State, more uh, maybe a little bit more conservative play calling and be content with making first downs, not necessarily making the big plays. Defensively, um, they really got to try and address the tackling issues and the secondary issues don't really know if that's going to be able to get done before we play Florida State. They have a really good quarterback who lit NC State up last year um, and has played well this year. Now, Florida State's 0-3 in the conference, too, so they're kind of sitting there in that same boat. But uh, I think it's going to be tough to go down to Tallahassee and get a win. Uh, they play really well at home. Bobby Bowden is under a lot of pressure to win, so they're going to be playing hard. Uh, hopefully NC State can come out and play just as hard and, and try and get that first conference win. Uh, thanks for listening uh, this week in, in Wolfpack Sports, guys. We'll be back uh, each and every week as long as you guys will keep having us. Uh, thanks again. And that was this week in sports. Joining us in the, joining us in the studio today is Adam Compton, homecoming chair. Adam, why don't you give us a brief rundown of homecoming week? Well, we've got a lot of interesting things going on this week. We've got with uh, the week homecoming week is November first through the seventh. For homecoming week, we. Uh, 
We've done a lot to try and add some new elements to Homecoming Week. We are going to continue to do Wear Red, Get Fed every single day in the Brickyard. But we'll also move it to Centennial Campus for two days where those of you on Centennial will be able to get lunch one day at Textiles and one day at Engineering. One thing that's kind of cool that we're also adding is Wednesday night we're having a keynote speaker. The keynote speaker this year is Doc Henley. Doc Henley is actually was just voted one of uh, CNN's top ten heroes of the year, and he's an NC State alum that runs Water to Wine. So we've got a lot of interesting things going on with homecoming, trying to add some new elements and uh, really just kind of improve homecoming week so that there's a lot going on. That sounds great. What kinds of changes do you guys have from previous years? Definitely the, uh, the keynote speaker is something new that we're doing, trying to kind of recognize an alum and kind of get some more alum involvement. Also this year we'll move the Pacquiao concert to Lee Field instead of Reynolds Coliseum. Reynolds Coliseum was booked this year and we tried to book it for a volleyball tournament, so... We're doing that outside this year, so that'll be kind of a new element as well. Other things, other than the wear red, get fed, a lot of things you'll see you'll be able to recognize from years past. Paint the town red. The spirit competition will look a lot the same. How do you think the construction on Hillsborough Street is going to affect wear red, get fed? Uh, It won't so much affect wear red, get fed because it's in the brickyard, but I think the big thing that we'll see it affect is the parade. We actually had a lot of conversations about whether or not to actually host the parade this year on Hillsborough Street. We... We kind of got the initial, no, don't go that way. And so we started looking at other routes and then went and talked to some of the Hillsborough Street vendors. And they were like, no, please have it on Hillsborough Street because of what it does for our business those days and everything. So that's when we really started talking to the city. And the city agreed to work with us and out on everything and try to get the street cleaned up. You'll only be able to stand on the north side, which is the vendor side of Hillsborough Street. But by then, we're hoping the street will be a little bit wider and good for the parade. That sounds great. Well, I'm sure by now most of you can guess why we brought Adam Compton here. Adam, why don't you tell us who this year's Pack Howell Concert Act is? Well, uh, just kind of to give you a little bit of history of where, where we're coming from this. In years past, we've had acts like um, the Avett Brothers. We've had Ludacris. We've, um, we've had several other kind of big-name acts um, common in NERD last year. And we kind of started to reevaluate things. And this year was definitely a different year in terms of budget and everything that was going on within uh, money situation because, you know, the Alumni Association does fund a good chunk of the alum- of the program, but memberships and everything else and endowments with the university and everything. So we started to really reevaluate things and figure out where we could go because we weren't getting the ticket sales that we needed to host a concert, a $60,000 con- act for homecoming. So, How early do you typically announce the act? Um, it just depends on the year. We, uh, we've been as late as a couple days before and as early as, a, I think, the Avid Brothers, we were actually fairly early on announcing because we had them. It just depends on what, you know, a lot of it with Homecoming, we have to fundraise for a good amount of our money. So it depends on where sponsors come in, what's going on with sponsors, and uh, all that kind of situation, plus working with our agent to get everything. But we start looking for a new Homecoming act the day Homecoming ends. But we really, the one thing that's really tough about Homecoming in terms of the Pacquiao pep rally and concert is that there are not many artists that want to play at a specific venue at a specific time, basically on our terms. They want to play on their terms for a lot of big name acts. And so that kind of makes it tough as well. And plus we're trying to keep it as cheap, as cheap as possible for students. To drag the suspense out a little bit longer. um, Adam, how did you guys decide on this band? What kinds of things went into, I guess, your criteria for choosing well, uh, we really we kind of got our budget. We went to student government, asked them for some more money. They gave us some more money. I went back to the Alumni Association. They matched kind of what student government gave us and gave us a little bit more money to work with. So we, we kind of got our budget set and then kind of started to work with things and try and figure out where to go. We started talking to our agent who works with a lot of groups because he owns part of Lincoln Theater and everything and then kind of tried to figure out what was going on. The, the act we finally decided on was that we talked to uh, – University of South Florida, no, Central Florida, excuse me, and they, they drew about 2,000 students at their act. Uh, so we, we knew that the act we were looking at would definitely bring something that we'd be, hopefully students will get excited about and something we haven't really seen for Pack Out before. How many people did you have last year? Last year we, uh, I think they had 3,000-ish maybe, somewhere right in there. I don't know for sure. Um, but What's- last year we had Common and NERD, which are two pretty big names in the R&B world. Right. What's the goal this year? Definitely 2,000 is the goal this year. We're moving it outside. It's going to be November. It's going to be cold. Bring your blanket. Um, but 
you know, we're, we're hoping that this crowd, we're also going to do it completely free for students. Students won't have to pay anything to get in. There's no picking up tickets in advance. You show up with your student ID. We'll swipe it, and you can go on right in. And you said it's on Lee Field, is yep. that correct? This year it's okay. on Lee Field. It's the same place. It'll be the same kind of setup as you see for Friday Fest at the beginning of the year. Okay, that sounds great. Now for our listeners, we're going to play a clip, and then we'll announce who our homecoming act is. Adam, do you want to give us a give us the final say? Yeah. So this year we uh, we, we looked into it, and it's actually a uh, college humor comedy tour that we have decided to book. It's uh, featuring Dan Levy, Streeter, and Jeff. So it drew about two thousand students. We're hoping we'll draw about the same crowd there this year. All right, that sounds great. Thanks, Adam. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. Ask Megan Gulledge what she does, and depending on the time of day you ask, she may give you a different answer. By day, she's a program coordinator at a nature preserve, but at night, she rolls up her sleeves and becomes an artist. An artist with a split personality, she specializes in both acrylic paintings and India inks. You can see much of her artwork at her website, updowncreations.com, named for her thoughts about life's up and downs, and presumably, those two of being an artist. Gulledge admittedly makes art that isn't pretentious or entirely too deep, and she has a knack for creating pieces that are, first and foremost, accessible. I sat down with Megan to discuss her art and what's on her schedule. I have a current show at 101 Lounge um, called Love Varies, and then I'm working on a show that's going to go up November 6th at Busy Bee Cafe on yeah. Wilmington. And those are negotiated through just the owners of the of the venues? Yep, the owners. Um, 101 has an events coordinator, which is pretty cool, so I've been working with her. It's definitely cool that they have tons of different events going on, enough to have a position. That's and cool. you've been in Raleigh for? Going on five years. I uh, grew up in Stanley County, <laughs> in a small town. Identified by <laughs> country, county, not yes, by town. Identified by county, not town. Um, actually a village. It was so small. Then I moved to Asheville to attend college and then I, a friend of mine convinced me to move here. I went from kind of not liking Raleigh when I would come visit her when I lived in Asheville to the point where I really love it and I'm still discovering new things about it. How was that transition going from Asheville, which was maybe sort of an eye-opening experience? To you? Raleigh? Yeah. It was definitely a transition. It took me a while because since I've been in Asheville for four years, I kind of knew all the art spots to mm -hmm. go to and where they did their art crawls the end of the month versus the beginning of the month. But I, I knew, you know, where the locations were to not knowing even how to get anywhere. You know, when I first moved uh -huh. here, I went out to look for a job and I came back with a job application from somewhere that apparently was like an hour away from our <laughs> house. So it wasn't uh -huh. until I realized I was going to be here for a little while uh -huh. that I actually started to look for things. Yeah. yeah. And so you talked about you knew the places in Asheville, but were they diminishing? Well, I think a lot of things are going on in Asheville as far as art. And this is just my perspective, but it's very hard, I think, for Asheville artists to make a, a living. I mean, it's an artsy town, quotation mm -hmm. marks. So a lot yeah. of people are trying to make it in a very small <laughs> space with businesses and galleries and things. Um, in addition, in order to make a living, I think you have to kind of tap into that tourism. A lot of people have been forced into painting you know, mountains and leaves and <laughs> the city in order to make a living. On t-shirts rather yeah, than canvas. Yeah, and like print their stuff on t-shirts and postcards and things like that in right. order to try to tap into the to the tourism there and a lot of coffee shops have stopped showing art for whatever reason uh -huh. and i would i would my guess would be that they probably have had trouble dealing with the artists and uh -huh. the business side of things and that's yeah. something you're still learning about yeah, uh, now in definitely. raleigh there's some pretty savvy folks i assume yeah there are and but my goal especially because i've been showing things obviously in bars and restaurants so I, that's a good place for me right now. I have a day job. Full-time. Yeah, my full-time day job. I'm not depending on it for my livelihood. I'm not paying for a studio, so I can kind of keep my stuff at a reasonable price. And the bars and restaurants and stuff, the ones that I've dealt with so far, don't really take a percentage from your sales, mm -hmm. which is really great, helps, too, so yeah. I can keep the prices low. I don't have to incorporate that into my, into my prices. I mean, obviously, it's a business. And if you approach it as an artist, okay, well, what do they want from me? Obviously, they want it to be easy to work with me 
and they need to make money. So make sure my openings have a lot of people buying right. drinks and food and make sure the art doesn't look awful <laughs> up on their walls because right, right. they're going to have to have it up there for a month, you know? Right. So if I do all three of those things, then hopefully they'll want me to come back. You know, I'll get a reputation for being easy to work with and mm. having decent openings and being money maker. You can't be naive. They don't just want pretty things on right, the wall. Right. In a perfect world. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they need something from it too. That's working full time. How is that coming home from a job may, at the end of the day? Yeah, it makes it so much more stressful because I'm coming home exhausted. I work with, you know, I do nature programs for kids at a nature preserve, and even working all day with kids. And then you have to try to make yourself, force yourself to stay up and create artwork because I don't have enough days off to just depend on that to get things done early in the mornings and late at night. Can you envision a point in time where you can give yourself more time to make art? Right now I'm young. I right. can live without too much sleep, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm not a great sleeper anyways. I blame it on my, I minored in philosophy. One of the best, worst decisions ever. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but um, that's, I mean, that helped me though in my art, obviously, because in order to incorporate two completely, I work in two completely different mediums. So in order to kind of incorporate those mediums into my show and not have it look really awkward that those two things are together, mm -hmm. I usually come up with like an umbrella theme. And then those pieces are directed at that theme. So for example, I did a show on conversations right. and I did mixed media and acrylic painting on internal conversations that you have with yourself or if you're spiritual with God. And then I did India ink drawings that were external conversations, you know, conversations that you have in your daily life with people. So the philosophy minor has worked out in the art, but yeah. as far as my sleeping goes, <laughs> I lay awake constantly overthinking things all right. the time. Well, it sounds like your concepts and your influences are universal and that translates into art that people can relate to. My hope is if I pick a universal theme that already people relate to, then you've already made a connection for them to go ahead and look at the rest of your work. Do you I mean, spell the theme out? Some artists are kind of against artist statements. In my schooling, I was taught that it's your one chance to make a connection and make people see why you even spent time on it. Sometimes I read artist statements and they're so pretentious and I don't know if they're meaning to be or not. But it's like using all these art terms that, I mean, I went to school for art and I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm bored with this. I'm moving on. So I try to make them concise. This is what I'm doing. This is why. I try not to like influence the way you see it. Right. You know, I leave it open for interpretation. I try to keep it very broad. And then hopefully people understand and get it. And you've yeah. seen some pretty good feedback. Yeah, I have. People happy that your art is at least accessible, right? <laughs> yeah. So you were talking about adapting to the building that you're displaying in, right? right. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the one that's at 101 right now, Love Varies, the concept is that we use the word love for a variety of things. And then I adapted the pieces to the space. The way that I work is I go and look at these spaces before I create the shows, right. which one forces me to create a completely new body of work and makes it very stressful and I don't sleep for a month. <laughs> but it also allows me to kind of create the work to fit the space. Busy Bee, which I'm doing November 6, has this one huge, massive, gorgeous old brick wall so I'm doing really large pieces to do in that space because I think it's going to look the best. So that's just sort of what my process is right now. Whether or not that will stay the same or change right. over time, who knows. But right. that's sort of what I'm doing right now. Tell us a little bit more about that Busy Bee show. It should be a really fun night. Reconnected with some guys I grew up with who are awesome musicians. And they're going to be playing upstairs in the Hive from yeah. 7 to 9.30. And then there's a DJ. DJ Merlin's going to go on at 10. And these, the musicians are from Stanley County. They are from so Stanley like County. A, a Stanley County reunion. <laughs> Stanley County meets our right. Raleigh friends. So when you were living in Asheville, you didn't expect to have a Raleigh art opening with Stanley County <laughs> no, reunion. never. Wow. That's what I'm saying. You have to be open to things because life has a way of being pretty funny and right. having a sense of humor. So... Megan, do you have any parting shots or advice for artists that might be listening? Any artists who are listening, just, just try to remember that you're not, you have to work. Like that's what one of my professors always drilled into our heads. You have to work even when you're not inspired and it's exhausting <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't turn out right at right. all, but right. you just constantly have to be working all the time. When do you have time to plan and promote these openings? I mean, you work a full-time job and you have to make the art. When do you have time to get the word out? Luckily I have amazing friends. So they're really good about always showing up and 
and bringing people with them. Right. But you also want new people to see your work too. Yeah. So it's very hard to try to make all of that happen right. at once. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Megan. Thank you for having me. If anyone from Stanley County is listening. <laughs> November 6th, Stanley County. Uh, <laughs> shout out. I, I think that might be the first shout out ever to Stanley County on the radio. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much. And we'll see you down at the Busy Bee on November right. 6th. Thank you. And once more, you can view some of Megan's artwork both on our blog at wknc.org slash blog and at her website, updowncreations.com. For Eye on the Triangle, this is Mike with Community Canvas. Hear this on Eye on the Triangle. Your local music news. Well, the State Fair is in town, and as much as that music clip might sound like Willy Wonka gets lost in a maze of fried foods at the North Carolina State Fair and then rides the merry-go-round, it's actually from the song Hurly Burly by Philadelphia band Man Man. Man Man are headlining this year's Cherry Bounce Music Festival. All of the prior music clips you've heard in this week's Eye on the Triangle have been from local musicians that are part of the week-long Cherry Bounce lineup. To tell us more about the festival lineup and its progression, Rachel Sloan sat down with event organizers Billy Warden and Greg Bear. Greg and Billy, tell me about yourselves and what you do. I'm Greg Bear. I'm an NC State alumni and a marketing and public relations consultant here. We're uh, also uh, the co-publisher of the Raleigh Quarterly with this person sitting next to me. And that would be Billy Warden. And I've been in the studio many times, some years back, as the leader of a band called The Floating Children. Uh, okay, so you guys came together with these to start Cherry Bounce. Is that correct? Well, actually, we have to give a lot of credit to the Raleigh Convention Center. The Raleigh Convention Center was throwing the Raleigh Wide Open Party, which Greg and I helped to develop and launch. And last year they said, how can we expand what Raleigh Wide Open, the big party, is all about? And, and we had an idea. So they came and said, what, who is missing from Raleigh Wide Open? Who are we not touching with all of our acts and all of our great... Uh, entertainment that's going on so we said you know there's a whole generation of people who really like to go to mu go to shows really like to come out want raleigh to become just as big as you want it to become and so we said well let's do an alternative music festival and people have been talking in raleigh about this idea of a multi-club multi-band festival for like for ages for decades and so it was really the raleigh convention center that gave us the opportunity to do it and then all the clubs coming aboard this year have made it a reality yeah, it's been really cool to go to the different clubs when we were presenting it to them and say, you know, what about a multi-night um, South by Southwest CMJ-like festival for Raleigh? They said, well, you know, we've been talking about that for probably 15 years now, all, all of us individual club owners together, but, you know, we just haven't had the no, – no one's come in to say, let's just do it. There's certainly enough great acts here to do it all those nights, as, as we're showing this year. And then on the final night of the festival, outside of the Raleigh Times Bar, we get to bring in some national acts. So we're celebrating what's great in Raleigh and bringing something great new to Raleigh. Yeah, let's talk about the music specifically. Who are some of the bands that are playing? Uh, Monday, as we talked about, moves to the Raleigh Times, which is a sponsor with a very special show, Magic Monday, and uh, three acoustic acts and a magician. Tuesday, music.myNC uh, takes over uh, Slims with, with a showcase. Jake Seaton, who is a, uh, was the A&E editor at, at Technician for, for a couple of years, he, he created music.myNC and put together a really great show with Vili, Americans in France, uh, Naps, and, and Gray Young. Uh, then Wednesday, the Busy Bee has a really, really cool night. They have probably one of the more eclectic nights right. with Cooley High, the, uh, the rap group, and then Mount Weather. Uh, the, the really big rockers. And then Thursday is the WKNC Local Beer Local Band Partnership we have going on. And you guys have Free Electric State, Gross Ghost, and the Poles. And then Friday night is like the oh. rockinest night like th that Raleigh may have ever seen. Roof-raising riffs. That's all we got to say. Over at the Berkeley Cafe from, from NewRaleigh.com, we got the T's. Uh, we got Colossus, which I love to say. The Infamous Sugar and uh, A Rooster for the Masses are all on one one bill. It's a lot of people be, are going to be losing their hearing. Yeah. 
And then Saturday, starting right around uh, right around noon, we have the the main stage, which is going to have, like I said, Peggy Sue, Skylarkin, Old Avenue, Schooner, Fin Fang Foom, uh, Man Man, and the Hood Internet. One thing that I think most people will be curious about is how you organize an event like this, how it gets started, and how you put the finishing touches to it all. So uh, putting together a, a great night of local acts, you know, what's, you know, what's going to be an interesting way to put together local acts? So, you know, Mount Weather and Cooley High playing on the same stage at the Busy Bee. That's really an interesting idea. The, the Raleigh Times putting together these three bands that play um, great shows. Well, let's have, you know, them do solo acoustic shows since that will probably work better for, for our venue. And then, you know, for the main stage, it's all about, you know, what do people really want to see in, in Raleigh? Who you know, who's going to sell out a great show and who's going to come and do something that's a little bit different that, so it's really memorable. So we, we talked with a lot of people and we said, you know, Man Man's name kept coming up and the Hood Internet kept coming up. And so we said, well, let's, let's, let's bring them together. Let's put them on one stage and, and throw a party. And we feel extremely lucky to be able to do this and, you know, extremely responsible to the community. So we want this to be successful. We want people to come to Raleigh who don't usually come to downtown Raleigh from, from North Raleigh, from South Raleigh, from Durham, from Chapel Hill, from Fuquay Varina, from Garner. You know, we want this to become a real boon to the city of Raleigh and to the indie culture here uh, because Raleigh's earned that. Bear meets Little Wayne in this song from mashup DJ duo The Hood Internet. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can always log on to wknc.org/blog for more information about Cherry Bounce and local music. of the week on Eye on the Triangle. Talking with Wolfpackers that are leading the pack. Eye on the Triangle's Wolfpacker of the Week, Zach Schnell, hopes that you can make it out to NC State's Brickyard this Wednesday to learn about reducing your carbon paw print at the campus-wide Sustainability Day. Uh, I am Zach Schnell, and I'm from the WESA group, which is the Wolfpack Environmental Student Association. I am a junior majoring in environmental technology. I'm talking about the Campus Sustainability Day that will be going on in the Brickyard on this coming Wednesday, October 21st. Pretty much one of the reasons that we're having Campus Sustainability Day is because it will help show you how to reduce your paw print um, with the information of a variety of different campus departments and student groups that will be on the Brickyard from 10 to 2. And like one of the things that will be out there is the Campus Farmer's Market, which has been going on the past couple Wednesdays, and that has been going well so far. And another thing out there will be the Student Health Center will be having their annual Know Your Numbers, which is pretty much what they'll do is check your body mass, your blood pressure, and different things such as that. Also, there will be uh, the Park Scholars will offer bottle bowling, so whatever that might entitle. And then also the University of Sustainability office will be conducting a tire pressure demonstration. And with that, they will have a bike, a car, a truck, a motorcycle, almost any type of thing that most people use today to use for uh, transportation. The, the Wolfpack Environmental Student Association will be out there as well. We will be out there help, you know, helping different tables go on and everything like that. But also one of the things we'll be doing is having, I guess you could call it a little trivia game. And pretty much what you do if you answer three trivia questions, then your name will be put into a raffle, which the raffle you can win a basket of uh, different sustainability goods, such as a stainless steel water bottle, which those are always nice. And then also different, um, there'll be different like a reusable bag and other different things such as that. And also there'll be like different um, gift cards from different restaurants around our area. So that's always nice to have, especially as a college student. One of the big reasons why we're doing the Campus Sustainability Day is one thing that's done by other colleges around the nation is they also support this idea, and they have different things that they're doing on in their campuses. 
But one of the things is it's also just a great way to bring different student organizations such as WESA or Park, Park Scholars or just other many different uh, organizations that you might not think would have anything to do with uh, sustainability, but they do in a sense. So then, um, but also it's a great way to bring all different departments on campus together as well to learn about what they can do to help and to lower their energy costs. Really, it's a great way yeah, to get campus groups and departments together to display how they're helping to reduce NC State's paw print for, if anything, for future students that come here to always have still a nice, clean environment when they're going from class to class. Sustainability is a way of replacing what you use in a way. So if you're going to use something from somewhere else, find a way in order to replace it either for someone else or for something it's kind of like karma. What goes around comes around. So, uh, I got involved with WISA actually uh, just recently uh, last spring. Uh, I just happened to hear about the meeting in uh, one of my classes I was in uh, with e in ES100 with Dr. Brooke. And a person from the club came and just, you know, for about two minutes just said what we are, what we're doing, everything. I was like, well, that could be interesting. So I went to the meeting and after that, Got got a hold of it and helped out ever since. I'm definitely enjoying it because one thing you always you well you learn a bunch of different ideas to help conserve and stuff like that, but also because of the people you meet because you you meet people like you would meet people that you wouldn't expect to. Meaning you might find people such as like different deans of different offices that are you know are for sustainability and are going for. It. And hey, it's always nice to know people in the higher up levels. So. And then, um, but then you meet, I mean, you meet, you meet a bunch of different friends that have similar ideas to you as well. And it's just, it's a, it's a great way to get to know people, which is always a nice thing to know in uh, this world today. So, uh, WESA meets, uh, starting this coming Thursday, since after fall break, we'll have our meeting this coming Thursday at seven o'clock and the room will be here in Witherspoon down on the uh, first floor, right next to the, uh, main doors that go into the movie theater. One of the main things that I've seen is that they're really trying to push people like doing more recycling uh, on, especially on campus. That's one of the main things I've seen. Also, they're trying to get other things done, such as just like at night, just simply turn the lights off when you leave. You know, something as simple as that, because before they've had just lights just being left on and different things such as that. And um, it's definitely helped with having the, an actual office of sustainability because they definitely have. It's definitely a lot easier for them to present different ideas and everything to the actual people in charge. The green way of thinking, I must say that I've actually probably learned, well, I always had it in the back of my head before college, but then uh, my, uh, my last two weeks of uh, my freshman year, I found out about the major I'm in now, which is environmental technology, and I you know, talk to learn more stuff about that specific major. And then I was like, you know, that would be something I could definitely do different things uh, along the lines of environmental technology. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll sign me up to do it. So anyway, by doing this and also different um, groups such as WESA or the uh, sustainability office, I've learned a lot more than I would have ever thought about uh, using green methods and, Green things such as something as simple as shop, shopping at the farmer's market locally or, you know, changing your light bulbs or, you know, just many, many different things like that. And by doing this, you actually learn that it really does make a difference, even if one person just does these different things, So, which most people probably don't realize. But, yeah, it's you definitely have the ability to do more than what you think. I on the Triangle would like to thank our Wolfpacker of the Week, Zach Schnell, and the rest of the pack who are actively serving as stewards to our campus community. Thanks for listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Don't forget to check out our blog for more information on the Pack Howell Act, the College Humor Disorientation Comedy Tour at WKNC.org slash blog, and let us know what you think. We'll wrap up the show with our weekly sound bites. WKNC FM Raleigh. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle's Sound Bites. I'm Seja Hindi. In the ongoing debate for health care reform, another initiative is facing scrutiny, a proposed soda tax. Some of President Barack Obama's top advisors, as well as some senators, are discussing an increased soda tax as a way to help pay for expanded health insurance and combat obesity. This sugar-sweetened beverage excise tax, as the Senate Finance Committee has termed it, would not apply to diet sodas or real juice. Eye on the Triangle's Matt Moore asked students around campus what they think of this proposed tax. 
here's what they had to say. I'm Josh Small, and I'm in computer science. On any tax increase, I don't see how much of the effect is because it gets lumped together by the time I buy the item. So I don't notice a lot of it. And I like the sodas, the price they are right now. So if it changes like the thing machine right there, then I might be a little angry just like stop paying sodas. Overall, do you think it would have much effect on your on your lifestyle? Or? Maybe not me so much, but in bigger places like Fountain Dining Hall and stuff, if it changes those prices at all, because I do occasionally drink soda there more. Um, Rebecca Dolan, I'm first year of college, and I'm a freshman. Um, it won't affect me because I don't really drink soda or anything, so personally, I won't really care, but yeah. Hey, I'm Megan Monteith and Undecided. Um, I think it'll affect me a little bit because every now and then I like an energy drink. And I think a lot of college kids probably resort to energy drinks um, when they need to stay up late. So it'll definitely affect most college kids, and I think it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, I'm Sonny Williams. I am a computer science major. Okay, and so what are your uh, your thoughts about the tax? It's stupid. What you going to elaborate? Um, it's stupid. Why would I have to pay more for my soda because of, isn't it? to help get money for the the health care bill that's going through. But yeah, I like my soda the way it is. Dylan Price, uh, business management, concentration finance. For me personally, I don't drink much soda, so it doesn't have much of an effect on me. Uh, possibly the energy drinks. I, I think it's kind of good though, actually. Uh, I think it can help uh, decrease the amount of sodas, which maybe might lower obesity as well. So <laughs> I think it's good. Uh, I'm a freshman. Okay. So, um, but yeah, soda tax, that's a no-no. Um, I feel like, okay, if the soda tax is supposed to help fund the ref the new health reform, then we don't need to have the new health reform. Because um, it's just going to make people stop, like, I'm not going to pay $3 for a soda. That's like going to an amusement park and paying $3 for a soda. No, it's not going to happen. That's, okay. how, that's how I feel about it. I'll just start drinking water every day. That's what it's going to be. So you think it would just make you stop drinking sodas completely? Pretty much, but then you do have those people who can't live without their soda, and then they're going to be the ones that fund the health reform or whatever the soda tax is going to. Okay, so, so. do you think it's a, it would be a good tax or a bad one? Um, if the health reform wasn't such, mm, then it would be a good tax, because the idea is good, but the execution of the health reform is not. And that was your Eye on the Triangle Soundbites with Matt Moore.